Let's face it, even with gas prices on the rise or after two years of a global pandemic, life for the most part, for most of us, can still be pretty damn comfortable. So it's on us to seek discomfort if we believe that those moments of discomfort help us sharpen our blade. I know I believe that. I know you believe that. And I know my guest today does as well. His name is Jason McCarthy, and he's a veteran having spent time in special forces and He's the founder of Go Ruck, a company dedicated to building the best and toughest rucking gear, all while creating a community who is ready to embrace the suck at a moment's notice. Let's ruck up and buckle up with Jason on this episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast. Jason, what's up, man? Dude, thanks for having me. Finally. I know. Took, took, took forever. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> I uh, Listen, man, I texted my buddy, Frank Schwartz, and my F3 friends know him as Dark Helmet. I said, hey, man. Dark Helmet. Dude, I, I, got, I need a long, long overdue intro to McCarthy and get him on Pick Up the Six podcast. So excited to do that it, That was man. like, what, three hours ago? It was, it was <laughs> wheels are in motion. Listen, man, when stars yep. align and we both can jump on something with busy, hectic schedules, we might as well strike while the iron's hot, right? Boom. Boom. Mm-hmm. I love it, man. Uh, big fan of, of what you guys do, not only the company you've created and the gear that you've built, but really the community. And so we're going to talk about that and how that all started and, and really what has become uh, a nationwide and global community. And, and I get jazzed, man. I get excited. I get pumped up when I'm driving down the street and I see uh, somebody rucking up a hill and more times than not, they got to go ruck, rucksack on their back. Uh, which is cool. So we're going to talk about all that in the community, but I want our listeners, if this is the first time they're hearing you, uh, to get to know you a little bit. And I know your path to the military was one that was spurred by that uh, incredibly uh, historic day, Tuesday, September the 11th, 2001. Uh, so take me back to to Jason McCarthy on that day and, and what happened and, and how that led you down that road to the Army. Yeah, you know, I just graduated from college in May and you know, as I'm now, I mean, my kids aren't there yet. My kids are 10, 7, and 5. But as you start to look at the youth, right, because there's, there's a generation knocking on our door, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I go back and remember my own. Like, that was a, it's a challenging time to, to, to be alive, right? And I mean, when you're 22 or you're 18 yeah. or you're 25 yeah. or yeah. you're just younger and there's all these expectations and I think some of those expectations have gotten worse because you just think everyone's life is perfect now or whatever it is you see out there. But it's just, it's a really difficult time, you know, and it's, it's worth remembering for all of us to have a little compassion and a little bit of mentorship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like if, if, if you can impact someone's life who's that age, then you can really impact their life, right? And you set them off on this path, this journey that can become theirs. And for me, I mean, 9-11 was that kind of moment. And it just, it changed everything about what what was going on inside of my head. And I didn't grow up planning to join the military. It was kind of just not a thing, you know, which is kind of a shame because I think there's like, there, there should be more of a call to service. And I think it's on more of us to, 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 to highlight our paths, not just the military, lots of different ways to do it. Anyway, right. You know, that's just where it changed for me. So I started applying 
to a bunch of different places, you know, all the alphabet suit places, the CIA, the FBI, you, you name it, all of them, right? And, you know, realize I had just graduated from college. So the expectation is you're going to go be an officer if, if you join the military or go join one of the secret squirrel spooky places or whatever and put that big brain to work. And, mm-hmm. you know, what, I, what eventually started to happen was, you know, God bless America, a lot of kids wanted to sign up and go become officers in the military and wanted to fight for our country. So, you know, we were the generation that couldn't fight, you know, because our hands were soft and all this stuff. And now we're the ones kind of saying about the next generation a little bit. And let's caution ourselves against that. You know, there's just so many good people. There's so many great parents out there raising great kids. You just don't read about that stuff. And so for me, it was was like, I, I started to feel the wars passing me by and I felt a million miles away from where I wanted to be. And eventually I, I enlisted in 2003. I read Generation Kill, which was at the time, um, gosh, it came out in the, the Rolling Stone magazine. It was about the, the, the recon Marines road to Baghdad, right? Killer Elite, it was called mm-hmm. in, in the Rolling Stone. And I was like, man, these wars are passing me by. And it was the camaraderie that spoke to me. It was the, the kind of just the brotherhood that spoke to me. Right. And America, yeah, it's a noble and worthy cause. Serve her and serve her honorably and serve her well. But the, the, that was an abstract notion. To me, what made it really tangible was just, look, you know, it, it can be about the guy to my left and the guy to my right. And I was kind of missing that in my life at that time. And so I was like, look, it's, it's time. So I went to the recruiter and, and signed the papers and went through and, and eventually made it into to all the training, which was a couple of years. And, you know, I guarantee contract to, to the school. So if I kept passing them, then I would get in. Right. And it was uh, one of those things where I, I kept not failing. I was too dumb to quit and, you know, barely made it through some phases, did pretty well in other phases. And, and that's kind of how most people's experiences are. So in, in 2006, wore my green break for the, for the first time and then got to deploy to Iraq pretty, pretty immediately. And then did some time in, in Europe and West Africa as well. Yeah. That journey to West Africa is that, uh, at what point do you meet your wife along this journey? Cause I know she was <laughs> in one of those alphabet soup organizations. When's your path? Yeah. Cross? So, so I fell in love with her the first time I saw her, she was 15. I was 15 and we met, it was the tail end of summer camp in Florida. And she would, was just, I found out there. I was so excited. She was just transferring to my high school. Right. So yes. we were going into sophomore year. Oh, it's like, like it's like is, Greece. Who is this? Yeah. Who is this? Right. And then, you know, and then I was just a total coward while we were in high school. And, and so I never asked her out. I mean, she, she babysat my siblings while I was gone over the summer. She was really good friends with my mom. She was the camp counselor where my mom was the tennis instructor for all the summers. And I still was a coward. Right. So eventually after I joined the army, right, I've, I felt like I was almost a man already. So I, I asked her, I asked her to go on a date or something at that time. And I'm like, but I'm going into the army. We had been in touch, you know, it's not like it was, uh, mm-hmm. out of nowhere, but you know, she's like, wait, what you're going to the army. And you know, it just was kind of like, I'm probably going to die. I might as well at least tell the girl I love that I love her. Right. I mean, like no regrets. Yeah. And yeah. so leave it out there. So in that, in the process though, we talked about, cause I'd been through all the hiring processes at these other places. And I was like, Hey, you know, she, you know, she had volunteered for a year in Ecuador at a, at a, um, like a religious, a, a Catholic 
Catholic organization down there. So she went and was basically like camp counselor to a bunch of kids for a year and lived in a house with a bunch of other, other volunteers. And, you know, that's like what she loves to do. And yet it was after 9-11 and I was like, look, loves to travel, foreign cultures. You know, she grew up with a bunch of languages and stuff like that. It's like, you should look at the CIA. So she did. And a year and a half later, she was in the CIA and we were, we were already kind of dating and about to be married at that time, I think, or maybe we were already married, but, but uh, yeah. And, you know, life was just kind of a chaotic whirlwind mm-hmm. around, around that time. And she was, you know, in, they love a good coup in Africa. She was trying to, you know, not make some of those blow up. And I was in Iraq doing, doing all that stuff at kind of the height of the surge. So it was a, it was a really chaotic, long distance marriage. Yeah. From Tuesday, September the 11th, 2001, to finally being downrange in Iraq in 06 with the uh, 10th Special Forces Group. Man, when you got in country and you were in war for the first time, what was that experience like? What was your, what was your mindset like uh, finally tackling that? I mean, it's a slow build. The Army is, you hear about all this stuff about hurry up and wait. And it's a slow build, you know, and part of that is actually good, right? When you're in the army, you're just kind of like, man, you know, this is, everything is so slow, but the mental process of preparing for that and training for that was, was useful for me. I mean, a lot of kids that I went to basic training with, I mean, they were on the next thing smoking to go to Iraq. I still had another couple of years of training. So I felt very fortunate in that regard to be better trained and and to have the time to kind of mentally prepare. There's absolutely nothing that you can do to completely prepare yourself. And, you know, there's all sorts of fears that every man and woman who goes there has to face. And, you know, in that regard, it's, it's not different than how we face fears here. Fear feels very similar, no matter what the source of that fear is, you know, but we, we did a corkscrew landing into to Baghdad International Airport in the middle of the night by op. And, you know, which is just, you're, you're doing that so they can't hit you with the missiles and, and all that stuff, whatever. And it, it's like, it got real kind of fast, but then not fast because you got to get in process and you're getting all this equipment. It's not like you get there and you just rush into the fight, you know, really. I mean, some people have, but it's, it wasn't my experience. And, you know, I mean, I'll kind of cut to the, the, the biggest chase here, which is, you know, I was, I was afraid to die. I was afraid to abandon my family. And it was, it was like something that I had to make peace with. And eventually I did. And it was one of those things where, look, the surest way to die here in this place that I do not want to die is to sit here and get consumed by fear. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got to take some deep breaths. You got to kind of make your peace with your own mortality. And you got to make peace with all the things that you find sacred in this life and, and the next. And, and then you got to go do your damn job. And that's, you know, you're, that's why I signed up. I wanted to be on the tip of the spear. And you're, you're playing on the, the, the cutting edge of that blade. And, you know, you just have to be good. You just have to be good. And you have to be good. And you're highly motivated because it's about the guy to your left and the guy to your right. And, and so the thought of letting them down is, that's that's the next phase of kind of it's not crippling it's just very kind of pressure it's like a deadline right deadlines are highly motivating i must do this you know and that's what it feels like to be on a team and so 
the trade-offs though are stark because you know it's like i had to block out the rest of my life like i didn't do this with kids i did this with m and she was had her life in in west africa but it's not like i i went home and flipped the switch from work to home or you know was kind of straddling these worlds it was more like you just have to you have to focus really entirely and and that's it, you know, it's like people had birthdays. I didn't send them a note or call them or anything, you know, and you could sort of from yeah, there. I, I didn't, yeah. I didn't even think about most of that stuff. I just kind of became consumed with, with what was in, in, in front of me. And I think that that's a really good way to do it, especially because I was not mature enough to know how to balance these things. It's, it's like a life, right? When you're young, you don't know how to balance too many things. The first time you deploy to war, focus on war, man. Like always do it, but you learn more. You learn that, hey, you're not just going to almost die every second of every day. You know, some places are safer than others. It's just like life. You know, you burn your hand on a, on a stove. You learn not to put it there again, you know, and you learn from the guy to your left, the guy to, to your right. You choose your mentors and choose wisely. And on, on those kinds of teams, there's just a wealth of knowledge and you got to bring your humility to, to them. You know, I don't know how to do this. And you will get, harassed and you will get made fun of and they will help you. Yeah. And, and that's like one of those things. That's how it works, man. You got to swallow, you got to swallow your ego and ask, Hey, how do I work this 50 cow? I, I, you know, I'd never worked a 50 cow. Right. And it's like, Hey, saddle up, you're on the gun. And I'm like, okay, the mission was, was coming. And I went to one of the, the 18 Bravos weapons guy. I just got out of the course. We don't practice 50 cows in the course. So in my, por my portion of the course, which was communication and radio. And I was like, I've, I've never shot a 50 cow before. So we went to the 50 cow range. We went to the sort of, you know, you, you sort of learn functions checks. Because before you go out, you do a, you make sure that your weapon will fire, right? So there's something really close where you can run through all mm -hmm. types of, drills and stuff it's a short term uh sorry a, a short range as well that's that's right there and so you know i went there and worked through a lot of the functions checks and you know you know load reload clear all that kind of stuff how do you you know barrel changes headspace time i mean there's just a lot of stuff that if something goes wrong 50 cows are are not the most resilient of weapons i mean they will they, they will they're, they're good when they're when they're up and operating i'm not the world's greatest by any stretch of the imagination, but that was my job. So, you know, I had to swallow my ego and say, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> right? Well, yeah, the, so so that's the lesson, right? Like you got to be willing to say, like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. I need somebody to help me. You can teach me. I'm ready to go after that. But like, you got to disavow yourself with the notion that you can't ask for help. Like you got to check that piece. Yeah. You got to be willing to yeah. do that. Yep. Yeah. So, sure. you know, that's one of those things. I mean, you're, you're comfortable. You work with a lot of weapons. It's just not every weapon all the time. And, and there's lots of nuances and everything is a perishable skill. So sure, it's great that someone spent some time on this weapon system or that weapon system, but you just learn how to be a professional. That's the culture. So you learn how to, how to do things the right way. And you learn how to practice before you go out. We call them rehearsals. You learn, you know, it's no different than training up for something, uh, anything. Of course you train up. Of course, you prepare yourself mentally and physically and all that. And, and so, you know, I found that there was kind of a, a, a weight had been lifted off of my heart when it was like, look, man, there, there's worse things than dying. 
might happen to me, might not, but I, I just got to get on. I got to get on with life. Like there's, there's risk here and there's more if, if all I do is sit and think about how risky it is here, you know? Yeah. You wrote, I'm a better person because I went to war because I served in special forces because of the guys to my left and right who expected and demanded more of me than I knew I had. It's not the revenge I sought after 9-11 that has endured. It's the love in my heart for those I serve beside. It, if, if there's a nobler way to live a life than in service to others, I've not yet seen it. That comes through in your personality in hearing you speak today. And honestly, man, it comes through in this company you started in GORUCK. I mean, because you've created a community that is about the person to the left and the right, um, whether that's through events, through doing tough, heavies, lights, right? If you're going through a RUCK event or if it's just a daily training segment with other people that are around you, or if it's just being a little bit better today than you were yesterday for your family, being better for the person to your left and your right. So talk to me about how you're going through the army, you're going through the military and you and Emily are like, you know what, let's start a backpack company. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a great accident in all of this. You know, I, I made her a, a go bag when she was in West Africa, shoved a bunch of stuff in there and said, Hey, just leave this in the car. Right. Yeah. It was just, yeah, it was batteries and, you know, water and running shoes because, you know, sometimes you're, you're trapped somewhere and you want to have really comfortable shoes. Like if you're like, if, if, if you're going out and you're a dude and you've got dress loafers on to go to some meeting, right. And then the coup breaks out, it might be nice to have, you know, something that you could yeah. ruck in, run in, whatever the case may be that that's, you know, you might have to live in them. So it was, it was stuff like that for, for her over there. And I just took the the mindset of, look, I was comfortable. That's, that's where I came from. We did that in, in Iraq where we put our go bags in the trunk of a Humvee and it was all the extra stuff that we needed there for that situation. And so applied that to her. And then it was kind of like, okay, so, um, here's like, here's, sorry, here's the go bag. You put one in the house, you put one in the trunk of the, the car, and I was working through what I was going to do next when I transitioned out of the army, which I eventually was, was really sad to do. I, I really loved it, but I knew that it just couldn't work with her, her and the agency and me in the army. There's just no, you can't play the exception game really at all, but mm -hmm. especially not with two organizations. So it's like, she's like, Oh, you should do the go ruck thing. And what she meant was you should advise people on, this special forces way of life, wherever we might be. And there it would be Africa. And so it's like, okay, that sounds like a cool idea. And I kind of started to explore that. And it just kind of morphed into, well, probably, you know, I don't really like these bags that much. The military's got better stuff, but we can probably do it better. So can't be that hard, you know, yeah. famous last words, yeah. you know? Like you could get yourself into some really type two fun with, with so words did like you? That, I mean, did right? you make one? Did you start prototyping where you're like, I'm going to design a rucksack that is more for sort of tactical life than for combat missions. So I don't know how to sew, but <laughs> I had a ton of gear and I'm a, uh, you know, you become a gear dork, right? I mean, everyone, because your gear is life or death. You have very little of it relative. It's not like, it's not like you can bring four roll bags with you everywhere you go for every contingency. So you choose wisely what you're going to carry and how you're going to carry it. You obsess over it right? What's going to fail, what's not. You, it's tribal knowledge all the time about, you know, mm -hmm. this stuff, how it's going to work, you know? And 
And so as I was transitioning out, I actually put an ad in Craigslist, New York City for a backpack designer. And I found this, uh, this couple that was operating out of Bozeman, Montana, that had been let go. Because remember, it was kind of the, what was it called? The, the, the Great Recession back then, 2008. Yeah. 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 Uh, Dude, the housing market blew up. Yeah, it was 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 the the bubble burst or whatever it was. I don't think it was a great recession. Anyway, um, gosh, that's going to bother me. I'll look it up later. But the they had been laid off their job and they were operating out of Bozeman, Montana. Mm -hmm. I synced up with them, and they basically you know walked me through it over the next you know year and a half. And the next year and a half was you know learning about a couple prototypes and do this and do that. And I based it off a lot of the assault packs that I had, but I said, Hey, I want this to be comfortable in Baghdad and New York city. So, you know, when you look at kind of design philosophy or whatever that might be, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. That's a Da Vinci quote, Mm -hmm. you know, and basically you translate that to the army. It's the simpler it is, the less stuff there is to go wrong. And, and, and then the better it looks, the, the more beautiful it is. And, you know, the rest of the world is kind of selling a trillion features and all of this stuff, you know, buy, 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 right? And I just, that doesn't, that's not me. So GR1 was the, the, the main pack that we worked on, the main rucksack that we worked on. And, you know, it was, it's, it's comfortable in war, but it's also got kind of a, an ability to transition to, to New York City. So that took about two and a half years, though, to kind of get those done, prototyped and completed and then a U.S. manufacturing place, and then built to scale, and then I, I had them ready for sale. How quickly did you guys, in the early days of this, just burn the boats on this thing? Like, I mean, were you all in from the jump, no matter what? No, absolutely not. I mean, it was just a hobby. Mm-hmm. I started going to business school in 2009 because I had the post 9/11 GI Bill, and it was in DC, which was a good place for me to be at the, at that time. And it was just, you know, this was just kind of in the background and it's just something that I don't know. I don't know. I I didn't really want to fail. Right. And it's, it's one of those things where you just keep investing more and more and you have no idea how much it's going to cost. And so before you know it, all the money's gone and like, well, I guess I am kind of invested in this now. Right. And so how do I, I don't know. I just too dumb to quit again. And so it just kind of kept iterating. And I did, I was fortunate. I mean, the American taxpayer gave me a job for five years in the army and then sent me to do all these, these great experiences and learn all this stuff while I was in and then paid for my education, which helped, helped me transition in, in business school as I was getting out. And that really made a big difference. It, if not specifically even for the school itself, which was, mm-hmm. which was useful, but just because I needed the time to transition. And so I still had it in my mind that I was going to join the agency when I got out of business school. And, you know, cause I'd met all the people there at that point too. So it's like, Hey, just come on over, you know? And it just, you know, this thing kind of started to be a little bit fun. Started, mm-hmm. I started running events because nobody wanted to buy the gear. I started the first go rough challenge and, at that moment, it became about people. And that's where, that's when it started to matter to me. The gear dork stuff is fun. I do actually really enjoy it, right? Because you can just be super ruthless about everything. You know, you get your, your guys in the team room environment and 
you know, someone, it's like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Someone will bring some new piece of gear in, right? And usually into a team room. And they usually won't say anything, right? They'll wait for someone to notice it or it's in their locker or whatever. Right. Yeah. And it's like, hey, let me, let me check that out. Or someone will just go grab it and like start checking it out, you know? And then you'll get a couple, a couple more guys around and it's like, this sucks and this sucks. That's stupid. I'll never use that. Why they do this? Why they do that? You know? And so that part's pretty fun. It feeds kind of the, that part of my personality where, you know, it's fun to just chase perfection, excellence, you know, and question everything all the time and just iron sharpens iron. And you can do that with gear, which is, it's not personal attacks and, until it is right. Mm -hmm. But it's not personal attacks. You're, you're, it's about, it's about the gear. Sort of like if you watch Get Back about the Beatles, right? You could see it was about the music. They were, it was, it was all about the music and they're just in there in their kind of pressure cooker. And it's like, Hey, no, try this and this and this, and they just keep iterating over and over and over. And so that's what it is with gear inside of, of special forces. And so I, I was really comfortable in that environment, but what I was not comfortable with was I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. Mm. Because for me, that's just not something that I wanted to, to build a mission around, like building the best gear is, is cool but it's got to mean more for, for me. And, it, yeah, and yeah. I would say, especially at that time in my life and that, that love of the, the, the meaning more has grown over time. So especially at that time in my life then, because, you know, when you're in the army, I mean, getting out and making money is not cool. Right. I mean, it's just not something like you're leaving this, this honorable job that nobody does for money. And it just, it just internally to my heart and soul Getting out to just, you know, make bank or something, selling gear. It just, that's not where my heart was. And I, I, I you know, I, I needed a, a longer bridge to kind of bridge this military civilian world. And it just, it had to matter. And so it started to matter with the first Go Rough Challenge because I put people through an event that was based on special forces training and you had rucks on like we did in special forces training. And then at the end, we sat, we sat in the parking lot in San Francisco and we drank beers and ate, ate some snacks and talked about how awesome it was. And it was hard, you know, I mean, it was hard. It was like a go rock challenge. It mm -hmm. was in fact a go rock yeah. challenge. Yeah. And it was, you know, that's when it was just fun. And it just brings me back to, you have to earn those kinds of feelings. That's and right. I earned them in the that's army. Right. You're damn right. And you have to earn those feelings. Yeah, You do. You can't buy them. You can't mm -hmm. go to the store. They're not for sale. And and where I was completely and utterly mistaken was I got into the kind of echo chamber when I was in the army and I was like, man, this is the only place where this kind of environment exists. Mm -hmm. And it's a great one, right? It really is great. But I've, I've felt such similar feelings with other people that never served in the army through GORUCK. And that's been like, I know it when I feel it in my heart, yep. you know, with yep. our community. Yep. And, and that's been really, really rewarding. And the first place that that happened was at class year zero one of, of the Gorilla Challenge. My dad uh, served in the Air Force for 36 years, did some cool stuff, flew some awesome airplanes and always had that camaraderie. And I saw him stand in front of a group of 30 men after a rigorous early morning boot camp workout uh, in this F3 organization I'm a big part of. I'm good friends with GORUCK and man, uh, there's a lot of uh, similarities and a lot of sync that's happening between those two groups. And he said, I've not felt this level of camaraderie being around that group of men who had physically put it on the line. And it was, that was a quick morning. It was like an hour workout. 
So I've not felt this level of camaraderie since I was in a fighter squadron. So, so to your point, right, th- there are ways, I think, to, to have uh, similar shared experience. And I think they're absolutely critical. And, and what I'm hearing, too, is that it wasn't by accident that you built a community in this thing, because it seems to me like you intentionally wanted to ensure that building a community of people was more than just making cool gear. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to say I had some big plan. Like I was just, I was willing to cut bait at some point, yeah. right. With go ruck. I was just willing, like, I just, I'll go do something else. And I don't know what happens. It's not really that important to me. And you know, it's, it's yeah. And now, anyway, the F3 stuff, like F3 is just awesome. The organization, the mission, the values, all that stuff, you know, do hard stuff, come together, social fitness, you know, meet people in the real world, not virtual, yep. you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's reminding more people. It's so you have to present options for people. We can't just hate on virtual stuff all day long. We can't just say, you know, Oh, you know, you spend less time on Facebook or whatever. Like right. you got to give people options. You can't just say, dude, give- go, going to a gym is dumb. You should do everything outside. No, no. Everybody's got different things that they need to get them motivated, and get them moving. I just want and, to move and, it. And the best way to motivate someone is to say, meet me there. Right. That right. is the best and it will always be the best. And, you know, as the more you get to know somebody, the more you can, you know, challenge them, if you mm-hmm. will. Right. Mm-hmm. And, it, but, but when you're willing to also show up and it's five 30 in the morning and it's pissing rain and nobody cares. And when you're done, isn't it just such a, it's such a, there's such purity to it in a world where, Purity has always been hard to find. It's yeah. not new to our way of life or generation. Yeah. Now, just purity is hard to find. And you have these moments of purity when you earn them. And when you come together and you just have that kind of camaraderie and you feel it in your, the marrow of your bones and you're all there together and you take that back with you, it just kind of, it, it just fills your soul up. And I, I think that we, we owe it to more people out there to get them out there in that field with us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We owe it to more of them to, 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 uh, to come up with something crazy and say, that sounds terrible. What time do we start? Amen. <laughs> right. Like, and like we talked about at the beginning, man, to, to you're going to have to go seek it more times than not. You're going to have to go look for it. But in those moments too, I think we find opportunity to learn a hell of a lot about ourselves and about other people and to see, uh, to see the goodness, to see the fight of other people, to see how folks are willing to help other people out. Right. What we talk about here, picking up the six, right. Finding opportunities, man, to just go outside yourself and do something outside of you, I think is the key. And I think that's something you guys have created there, which is pretty cool. Well, look at it. I mean, let's take the view from the blimp here for just a second, right. Or the view from the the, the B-52 bomber, right. (laughs) And you, you say, look, the last two years, we, we have never been more equipped to be more private mm. or to be more empowered to, to meet our basic needs without any type of interaction. We have never had more fitness options open to us, right? You know, everything, you know, what has exploded is, you know, screen time and, and all the fitness apps. And, you know, you can get trained by a trillion different people. You can start your subscription model right now. And they really hope that you do, you know, you can find all the Mr. Spandexes of the universe to (laughs) to yell at you to pedal faster from the, the literal comfort of your home. Right. 
Mr. Spandex has no idea who you are, but as long as you pay that subscription, he will, he will, you know, he'll give you all the attaboys and the come on and we can do it. And we're a team and we're a community. And I find all of that, there is a time and a place for that, right? There's a time and a place to do stuff. Like the fitness side is, is good. Go do something where, where you got to do it. Or you're, you're a dad and your kids are at home and you can't leave. Like yeah, do, do sure. something there. It's okay. Sure. I'm not sure. against it. But if you look at the macro forces, you say every single measure of human health has gotten worse in the last two years. Every single one. Loneliness, depression, anxiety, stress, obesity, childhood obesity, suicide. Every single one is worse. So all of these other things, all these opportunities exist more than ever. We're wealthier than ever. We can afford more than ever. And all of these opportunities exist. And everything that matters most in our lives has gotten worse. Everything. I'm talking at a macro level. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Not, yep. not, yep. not, not to everyone, but at a macro level. And you sort of say it's, it's an easy dot to connect, right? I mean, we are meant to be part of a tribe, a community. And a community, I will define, must have a real world component. If it doesn't, it's just a forum and you will be treated like you're in a forum. Go, go check out Reddit and Facebook and all of those places sometimes. It's how people and, can and, talk to each other the way they do in 140 characters versus if I have to look you in the face. Yeah, there, there's humanity. There's humanity between us. Yeah. Even right now, there's more than, than there would be, you know, you know, getting my nubs to bang the keyboard full That's of right. anger and, and stuff. And it's, it's like we're losing that. And so we're losing that for too many people. And I think instead of just lamenting that and dividing and conquering, we just have to fight the good fight to bring people back together in the real world. And, you know, to bring people back for matters of health and community and family and faith and those kinds of things, whatever motivates you in your soul, you know, it, but, but everyone's more similar than what we think, right? Like, mm -hmm. People would say, oh, you know, it must be crazy to love someone that you go to war with that you would just lay your life down for. I'm like, yeah, it is. I'd also do that for my kids and my family, right? It's, it's what we were talking about. Fear feels similar. So does service. So does sacrifice. So does love, right? You have, you know, when, when we had our third, my second son, my heart just doubled, right? It didn't get, it didn't cut into the love of yeah. Natalie and Jack, just Ryan, just my heart just doubled again. And it's, it's, it's like, that's, what's the truth. And we all love our families and we, we love, you know, the people that we spend time with is what's going to bring us the greatest joy. And that's, it's, it's, you know, there's no correlation once you reach a certain, once you reach a certain level, which almost Almost everyone in America has, and I, I would bet everyone listening to this podcast has, that there is no correlation between more money and more happiness. Mm -hmm. It doesn't exist. So it's kind of like we have to be ourselves and we have to pursue the passions and the missions in that. And we have to do it in a way that allows us to be happy and fulfilled. And that's a, that's a struggle for all of us. I mean, if left to my own devices, I'm, I'll work 20 hours a day. And I'll, you know, I love my kids, but loving them also means spend, spend time with them. I owe yeah. them my time yeah. and I have to put, I have to put, I owe my wife my time, right? Which I love. 
I love to spend time with her. I love to work too. I love time with my kids. You know, and these are the trade-offs that are, that are hard and stressful. And I know everyone is facing them. And, and yet, you know, like, let's not lose sight of the big stuff, which is we need to be more active. We need to be healthier. We need to focus on fitness. And when I say fitness, I mean, mental, physical, social, yep. and spiritual, you can, you can lump into mental, or you can say spiritual fitness as well. Yep. Th- those are doing things. That's not just go find the mountaintop and ponder, you know? So that's more important in community and tribes and family, and just recognizing that and making those choices because they're fun. They're fun and they're fulfilling. And it's a great way to lead a life. Have you always felt this way and been able to articulate it this way? Or has that come as you've grown, matured, and built this thing? You know, I, I think that it's, it's certainly matured. It's something where it took me a long time to make sense of my youth. You know, my, it took a long time for me to make sense of the impact that the Army had on me. What was great about it? what I didn't like about it, which is actually very little, you know, there's very little that I didn't like about the army. And it's, you know, it's, it's stuff that everybody's got little stuff that they don't like about anything, Sure, you know, and it's just, it's kind of, you know, my, the timing, which is so pivotal in my life. I mean, I think it's important to lead an examined life. And that's one of those things that the army, like they just don't, you think you're special. You're not. Right. So in order to progress more, to do your job better, to be more accepted, you better learn what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. You better learn how to ask for help. You better learn how to get strong too. Right. Cause we're, we're, whenever you mess up, you gotta, you know, do something hard and buy a case of beer for someone else. So, um, you know, and it's, it's really going through that process of my own life, which was, you know, what happens to me if I'm 30 and the towers fall? right? Life's completely different, but I happened to be 22 at this time that was, it was, it was, I wasn't fragile. I had done well in college. I had enjoyed it. I'd played tennis my whole life. I'd always enjoyed sports mm-hmm. and being physical. And I'd enjoyed the, really enjoyed the team aspect of, you know, traveling with the team and, and doing all that. It's just, you know, I, I can't cast any stones, man. I mean, if I'm, if the towers don't fall, then I'm not serving. And so I think it's important and what I really have this kind of my cross to bear is ultimately I feel like I owe. And the reason why I owe is because I was given this incredible opportunity and this, this incredible education in not just survival and not just weapons, and not just tactics, but I was given this amazing, amazing education about humanity and specifically myself. And in that process, I, I lost a lot of friends. I've, I've since lost friends to suicide and I've, you know, it's, it's heart wrenching. And so as I look on what can I do with my life, I can't just sit around and, and mourn. It's not what they want. It's not what's best for me. It's not best for anybody. Right. But what I can do is go back and find more people like me when I was 22. And I can, I can kind of say, look, this is, this is how you can think about things. And, and what I would, what I say to people all the time is there is no better way to, to, to live your twenties than to serve something bigger than yourself. I mean, 
because I've seen people that they get a, they get a really fast career track and then they're on that career track and it's really hard to change. And, but I, I've just, I learned so much about myself through, through my service. And it's one of those things where I just feel very fulfilled because of it. And I think that it prepared me really well for a lot of other life's challenges. I mean, I, I can be kind of, you know, I'm an idealist. I can, I can find a cause and, and just, you know, like I will pass out before I die. Right. <laughs> and I'll just keep going and going and going. And by the way, if that, if that happens, stop my watch, save where I was at. <laughs> got it. <laughs> you know, and it just, it gave me some, some perspective yeah. on whatever I wanted to, to do to be happy and fulfilled in life. But it took some time. Sure. Transition was hard. Sure. It was not sure. an easy thing. And, and there are other ways to do that. There are other ways. I mean, like Emily volunteering in, in Ecuador for a year was great for her. And, and yet her regret, her only regret in that is she goes, I, I was going to do the Peace Corps, but I thought it was too long, like two or three years, whatever it is there. Mm-hmm. And you don't realize all you have when you're 20 in your twenties is time. Time, man. You're, you're yeah. not really worth anything, you know? You're worth, you're worth whatever you can do at the construction yard, you know, and, and you're, you're worth kind of the fact that your time is worth so little that you need to invest in solving big challenges and learning about yourself and, and, you know, learning how to fight your way through ignorance and, and, and finds you humility in that process. And, and you also need to find some mentors who can help you along the way. And so it's not that scary when you, when, when you can kind of present it to someone like, look, you're supposed to fail, right? You're oh, supposed yeah. to, the you're time. supposed to do all these things. You're supposed to try this and try that because the older you get, the less willing you are to try. So if you don't have that broad aperture of experience from when you were young, then you're, you're just kind of start living through a straw, a straw's viewpoint. And it's not as great. So mm-hmm. You take these kind of crazy, this crazy timing of 9-11 and serving in the army and then kind of, you know, M's experience at the agency and coming back and business school and starting a company. And, and you know, and with that was all of the regrets of not still being in the service, by the way. So I had to kind of fight yeah. my way through those. And that was another chip on my shoulder and, and processing the, the death of, of, you know, people that I loved, men that I loved that, you know, it, nobody died in my arms. I'm not sure that makes it any easier. I, I just, I don't know. Right. It just, it's hard, you know, and then there's, there's ongoing stuff with mental health issues and all of that stuff. And, and so, you know, it's just one of those things where that's what I really believe in is championing, championing a way of life that is the best of what I went through. And I think that's great for the next generation. And I think more people in America, I think it's great for, more of us, if we want to see the America that we love continue, this isn't promised to be successful, mm-mm, mm-mm. right? Mm-hmm. And I don't mean just fighting in foreign wars. That's, that's almost, it's, it's almost too easy to say, oh, you got to be willing to fight and do all of this stuff, right? People will sign up in, in our country when there is a noble cause. That, like, we will. I saw it after 9-11. Americans will answer the call. The ongoing stuff is how do we, how do we 
achieve a level of fulfillment and happiness and purpose. And like, what's our Mm -hmm. mission? What's our why? You know, how do we band together? How do we strengthen the fabric of the nation and and households and communities? Because that's what ultimately it it boils down to. That's, that's our superpower here. Sure. We can go downrange and fight wars, but the superpower is here at home and how we treat each other and how we raise our kids and how we interact and, and in how active we are, right? We need an active populace. And so we, that, that's what we are all for championing. Man, I love it. You know, it's how can you continue to uh, be an asset for your community and fight for the middle of this country? I mean, that's where ultimately, if you're looking for a way to engage or find an opportunities like that, you know, folks, you guys have heard me say this time and time again when we talk about purpose, but it bears worth repeating uh, because I think Jason's nailing it today. And it goes back to your comment about, you know, no amount of money can make you happy. No amount of money can give you purpose. It's not your strength. And that term strength could be defined as resources money, but it's not your strength that holds you to your purpose. It is the strength of the purpose itself and finding what that missional uh, purpose for you in your life is. And, And honestly, man, it's not apples to apples, but it's why we started this community here at Pick Up the Six. It's why we share stories about the the men and women that we do that have gone above and beyond themselves through service, purpose, and impact because they highlight something that's bigger than all of them. And they highlight the goodness that is this great nation of ours versus the divisiveness that is you know mainstream media and, and big cable news, right? Folks like Spanky Peterson, who with a team of six Air Force Reservists went in to save Marcus Luttrell. You've never heard of those six guys before, and you likely will never hear of them. You've heard of Marcus Luttrell, but let's talk to the guys that made it happen. Let's talk to the ones that are part of doing those things. Let's highlight stories about folks that are going outside themselves. And maybe that sinks in a little bit when we feel this ego pulling us. You know, it's just, man, I could listen to you all day, to be honest with you, man. Uh, it's just been incredibly insightful before we go, we got to talk about Sandlot Jacks, this big event you guys have coming up in April. I want to make sure we, we share what's going on this brainchild of yours. It's become this, this weekend celebration. So tell me a little bit about what you got going on in, in April down in Jacksonville, what it's going to look like and where folks can find out about it. Yeah. Thanks, man. So this is the most entrepreneurial I've felt in a decade or more. Right. So the, the goal in the middle of the pandemic, when everything was, you know, fear was kind of crippling so many people. And we're down in Florida. Yeah, people were wiping their groceries down before bringing them home. Nobody knew what to do. Like, Yeah, which, okay. I mean, once we realized that this wasn't going to kill all of us on, yeah. you know, impact like that, you know, Sandy wiping your DoorDash groceries down and living by yourself in your, your apartment, you know, a year and a half later, which I saw. Yeah, you know, testimonial from someone. I'm like, look, we we have got to get back to something more, more of what we need because the opportunity cost, the 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 cost of all of this fear on people is, you know, the risk of the virus is not that great. The risk of damaging so much other stuff, like forgetting how to talk to people and. You know, uh, anyway, a million different things were going Almost wrong. Almost as and, if people wanted that to happen on purpose, but I digress. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I mean, it's, I think, a healthy skepticism of, of government and anything that I, I, I err on the side of pro-freedom. 
yeah. and give freedom to the people. And, you know, Florida was not perfect in this, but Florida and our governor erred on the side of, of giving people their freedoms. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a, it's a, it's a thing that America is founded on. And so that was the vantage point that we had. And, and all of a sudden it's like, look, if you think that going outside is going to be a problem, then, you know, come on, you got, we, we got to nudge you along. So yep. we started yep. said, okay, so let's plan this big giant fitness party in our town, Jacksonville, Florida, right on the river. Okay. And we took over 14 acres right down there. And it's, it's basically two football fields of, of kind of the active space. Right. And it's like, let's invite everybody that we've ever known and worked <laughs> like with. All in, of our friends are in, coming in fitness, health, wellness, technology, those kinds of stuff with a focus on community and bringing people back together in the real world. And, and kind of us all, it's the beginning of the beginning. If, if that's what we need, you know, jumpstart the rest of our lives, but, but we've just been, you know, seeing each other on zoom. We've been seeing each other on hangouts. It sucks, man. It sucks. And, and if, if you're looking for permission to change that up, then then Sandlot Jacks is, is for you. And so what we basically did is I called up my, my buddies at Savage Race. They've put 500,000 people through obstacle course. I'm like, Sam, will you build an obstacle course here? He's like, yep, we'll yeah, do it. So gotcha. we're, put, so we're building um, 17 obstacles on a quarter mile course right in this kind of two football field size field, right? But it's, it's you know, his, he's taking up a little, a little bit of it. And there's a kid's course, right? And then I called up, uh, and you can do that or you cannot. You can do other stuff, which I'll get to as well. But, and then, then uh, I called up Rogue Fitness. Bill and Katie are great people. Great American company run out of Columbus, Ohio, my home mm-hmm. state. And I love them to death. And they're like, will you please come and, and support this? They're like, yep, we're in. So they're bringing a rig and some strength and conditioning equipment. They're bringing judges. They're bringing, you know, record breaker stuff. But you can also practice, you know, climbing a rope if you want to. You can also practice, you know, like p- dragging something to get stronger. What, whatever the case may be, though, you know, you can practice the rogue, mm-hmm. the rogue bike or the rowers or whatever. If you've never put done that type of stuff, come, come try it. You know, I'm for people doing lots of different activities, right? And then we started, uh, so then we started calling up, you know, other brands and trainers and said, hey, will you come and speak as well? And so this is the other part of it where, you say there's a lot going on in, in this kind of center field, we call it sandlot, right? The place yeah. where you met your kids and you had fun, yeah. Yeah. You didn't worry about how many calories you burned or, you know, it was like, go, go have fun with your friends, meet up at the sandlot. And so this center field, you'll have a lot of these trainers as well. So we have CrossFit Games champs. We have, um, you know, Travis Manny Foundation is, mm-hmm. is executing the Manion Wad. F3 is going to come. Someone, someone's leading some big giant F3 workout as well here at, at center field. And it, it's kind of a place for communities to come and, and see what other people are doing. Kelly Starrett from the ready state Mo- mobility wad formerly, you know, he's going to lead some recovery, some stretching, some, um, you know, classes like that, yeah, where if you yeah. haven't actually done that stuff, that would be a really good thing to learn how to do better for all of us. And, and then you take uh, the technology side and old buddy, um, he's the CEO of Niantic who created Pokemon Go and, and stuff like that. So he's running a very big business out of California. He's keynoting, keynoting for us on Saturday night about the, the future and the role of technology on our lives. 
right? So he called the metaverse a dystopian nightmare. Like you can't just live on your phones. You need to get out and be. Yeah, part no, of it's a huge problem. It's a problem, <laughs> right? I mean, his games. His games are. You know, people have walked six billion kilometers playing Pokemon Go. Six love billion, it or, love right? it or hate so, it, they're outside moving. Thank God. Amen. Right. You know, so that's that to me is is a great use of technology. And then, you know, there there's just other. So these trainers are coming and giving kind of not seminars, but they're mm-hmm. they're like classes in the field, right? And then. There's over 30 speakers that are giving TED style talks right next door in this public radio, public TV station. So there'll be nice. cameras and we'll film yep. everything as well. So, you know, a lot of times you, you show up and, and there's a ton of go ruck events too. start point here, go do it. You know, it's going to be fun. Earn all the packages if you want. There's scavenger hunts, 5k, 10k, 15ks, start here, go explore the city, have fun. Right. But the, the speaker stuff is fun. And I was really passionate about about doing this because it's 15 minute talks max per speaker. Nice. Right? Nice. And, yeah. and so once you've done enough fitness in the field and you know you went to the food trucks and you drank enough yingling or horse soldier bourbon or fit vine or we may even have some water there. I don't know yet. Right. A little bit. Yeah, um, sure. <laughs> but it, it's it's like look, you can go learn from these these global thought leaders mm. in health and wellness and fitness and training. I mean one of like the head of the women's cardiology department at Mayo Clinic is presented mm-hmm. right as well. There's, you know, physical trainers, there's, you know, a lot of military folks, there's, there's a lot of, you know, mental resilience talks. The, the head of VA prevents is coming down. He's running the, the, the program to combat nice. veteran suicide, nice, right? Man. Incredible. So there's a lot of these, so you can, you can do this stuff with your buddies, right? drink some beers in the field or whatever you want to do, right? Take some strength challenges, do the obstacle course. You can do it as many times as you want. Not a big deal. It's, it's there. Just go jump in mm-hmm. and do it like the, like the, the roller coaster at Disney, you know? And then when you want something more, go listen to some of the speakers. They're going yeah. all, they're yeah. going Friday, all day Saturday, which is the big day. And then a little bit Sunday as well. Here's, here's <laughs> guys, think about everything he just told you. That's a part of this. It's 250 bucks to register. What a hell of a deal to have a, a, an experience like that. The website's sandlotjax.com, sandlotjax.com. Dude, I have just been thrilled to have this conversation, man. I'm so grateful that we were able to get on the horn today and make it happen in quick turnaround time. The stars align for us and, uh, and just grateful for your story, uh, your service before self, that strength, the purpose you have now. And uh, man, just thrilled for, for what you guys have done. And again, uh, loyal customer fan for life. And uh, that, uh, that uh, go rug uh, is in the back of my, my truck all the time. She's locked and loaded, ready to go at a moment's notice. Cause you never know when you're going to need it. So thank you, brother. It's been great to talk I, to you. Thanks, man. I, I really enjoyed chatting with you. Absolutely. He is Jason McCarthy. I'm Brian Jodis. And this has been pick up the six podcast. Mm-hmm.